0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Rewind Waterfowl Podcast. I'm here with Billy from Slow Flow Outdoors. Billy, how is it going,
1: brother? Oh, it's going. It's going. You know, I had a long day of work and just getting home. You get to meet up with Jonathan, you know, hanging out. You get to talk about some ducks.
0: I hear you there, man. So we've already talked about it a little bit now, but if you want to give an update as to how uh, how the teal numbers look like,
1: out there at the in the Everglades where you're at? It was a pretty good push through like the middle of the week. Uh the beginning of the season, the early teal season, I should say. Uh we didn't see any birds out in the Everglades pretty much. I mean they were holding in the STAs. I know a couple guys banged out three three man limits out there pretty well. Uh but Some of the public land, I would say, they weren't showing up anywhere. But about middle of the week, we had a real good push of birds. Um, Saturday and Sunday, at the end of the season, uh, we probably seen a couple hundred here or there and stuff like that. And uh, the wood duck population was good in the beginning of the season. We didn't really shoot any because we went out to private land first time i ever hunted private land that was cool so yeah and the numbers are looking steadily increasing and in florida on the public land your guys's
0: teal season is shared with a wood duck season is that correct yes sir man that's awesome i feel like uh you know, that's something in South Carolina we'd probably hope for, but at the same time, I understand why we don't have it that way. I know the 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 teal, the blue-winged teal and the wood ducks tend to kind of run together in the southern part of the flyway here. But, you know, in South Carolina, when all of our season is basically nothing but wood ducks, it kind of makes sense that we don't have it.
1: Yeah, I mean, they do migrate north. They're pretty much one of the only birds that migrate north because a lot of them come from the south. And supposedly, they migrate north. That's what I heard. Because when our season is going on, like right around mid-December, you don't see any more wood ducks down here. That might make sense.
0: Um, You know, I've always heard in South Carolina, we have a very strong, like localized breeding population of wood ducks. And they stay here pretty much year-round. They don't ever leave. I mean, they'll be harder to, to harvest in the later parts of the season just because they get shot at so much. They tend to get as far back into the swamps where nobody can really get to them uh, just because, you know, we have a lot of, of land like that around here. But in the later parts of the year, we get migratory wood ducks that actually come from up north in the Atlantic Flyway. Um, so your your ducks, your wood ducks from Virginia uh, all the way up from Maine, those guys are actually coming down here to Virginia, or North Carolina, South Carolina, and we get a lot of those. And I know that's that's been evident across band data for, like, the past 20 years. But, you know, it, it's very real, or it could very real be a possibility that, you know, those birds in Florida are migrating north, and maybe that has something to do with the food source you guys have out there in the glades.
1: Yeah, I don't know, because we have a very, very good food source down here, but maybe they just changed their diet up or something. I don't know. It's really hard to tell. And plus, also, I think when they get pushed out is because the black belly whistlers come in. And when the black belly whistlers come in, since they're such a larger bird, they kind of bully them out of their holes and everything like that, and their tree holes and stuff like that.
0: Man, that's interesting, too. That that really is interesting because the you know we we can get on some black belly whistlers here in South Carolina, but the only time we do is in the very early parts of the season and it's it's by the salt water, and it's it's interesting you say that because you know we're not very far away in the flyway. I mean, you know we're only a couple states away. I get your your way down there in South Florida, but it's just interesting to hear how different these birds act. At, you know, just a couple states away yeah so
1: i guess the way the black belly started was in florida from an aviary that they escaped and there's actually they're more found in like puerto rico and the islands like that so you'll see them more prevalent there and in florida that's why you see huge populations of them like everybody's starting to say man we should have a early season for for black belly whistlers down here because i mean the sky will be black with them things it's it's is that pretty tr- wild is that true for the fulvis as well do the fulvis get as thick as the black bellies uh i think so i mean they're pretty much a a local resident bird uh the fulvis i don't really I know they shoot them very rarely in Texas and, like, Louisiana. Um, but we have a pretty decent population, but we're only allowed one of them.
0: Yeah, that's um, that's one that's, that's on my list, man. I don't know what it is. I just think that's one of the prettiest birds there are for some reason. I haven't had the opportunity yet, and hopefully when I get down there and get up with you this January and February, hopefully we can get on some.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of weird, like, where they're found. Like, I've seen, like, where I go hunting, I've seen probably about two of them, but they primarily like to stay in the STAs, like, because I don't know if you know what the STAs are down here. I think I mentioned to to you before. Yeah, you talked to me about it, but I'm not 100% sure what the STAs are. Well, it's a storm treatment area. That's what it's called. It's abbreviated. Everybody calls it STAs. But it's a storm treatment area. So it's like a huge retention pond. And it's surrounded by sugarcane and rice fields. So th- I think the STAs are pretty much like kind of like they're loafing ponds. Because it's, I think it's uh, 20,000 acres for just one of them. And we have six, I would say. It's really like, so our STAs, it's three, four is combined. So I think that's equal to like 80,000 acres. Then five and six are also combined. And I think that's around like, 70,000 acres, but it's all shallow water area, you know, perfect for dabbling ducks. The deepest water is probably like your rim canals. I mean, you kind of have to take a boat over there. I mean, I think it's about like 12 feet to 13 feet deep or something like that. But once you get into the interior, it's only two to three feet high. If you get up to your chest, you're you're in the wrong area, if you know what I mean. You know, so they're coming out of these sugarcane and rice fields to go hang out in the STAs. I mean, it's filled with hydrilla and everything like that, but I think they use it as a loafing pot. So the fulvus have a tendency to just fly in there, and they always get banged up <laughs> for some reason. But different stas have like different habitats i would say so one has a little bit more trees one has a little bit more cattails and stuff like that and they're all a little different but pretty much similar and that's what the stas are yeah That kind of makes sense. I mean, we
0: don't have any STAs in South Carolina, but we have kind of differentiating public land when you're your cat one and your cat do kind of WMAs. I mean, those things differ quite a good bit. But to take a step back a little bit from the ducks and we'll get back into it later, of course, that's what this is about. But I want to ask you two questions first. Uh, One, are you originally from Florida? And two, how did you get
1: started in the outdoors? so the first question no i'm not originally from florida i am originally from pennsylvania but i moved down here when i was in second grade so five i think i don't know how old you are when you're in second grade but i think it was around five or something like that and i've been down here ever since then uh the second question uh, how did I get into it? So I've always been fishing down here. My dad, we always lived on a, a canal, body water, especially down in Florida. Almost everybody lives on a body of water. Uh, so I would just take a fishing pole and walk down the lake and throw a cup of cash and introduce me to the world of fishing on that part. And then to get into the hunting part, uh I was in high school. And my buddy's like, hey, uh, I got a John Boat. You want to go out duck hunting? I was like, Yeah, man, let's try it. So we go out and venture off into the Everglades and I shoot my first duck out there, and I was like, Oh man, next season I bought myself a boat and decoys and started going bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> I man, that's
0: a uh, so I spent some time in Florida myself. We were in uh the Winter Haven Auburn Dale area. That's where we lived. And yeah, Florida just has always been a Mecca for fishing. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time, especially on Lake Okeechobee and all the little channel lakes that are connected down there, just doing a lot of largemouth fishing. And, you know, I I kind of fell in love with that there while I had my time. But one thing that I've started to notice is, you know, waterfowl and kind of in high school for me started picking up and you know i start traveling a lot more and being from south carolina one thing i've noticed is that florida is a little bit of a i won't say necessarily a hidden gem but it's an overlooked gem for birds oh. in the atlantic flyway
1: 100 100 and it's not only birds that we get in, from the atlantic flyway we get birds from the pacific flyway mississippi flyway we get them from all over and, and that's what people don't understand like Ducks don't only migrate south. They, they'll they migrate east, west, all over the place, depending on how the wind goes. Like, this year, since we're in a El Nino, I think we're going to get a lot more west birds because I know last time we were in the El Nino, we were out, and my buddy shot two bands a couple seasons ago, and they were out of Saskatchewan way way west canada so goes to tell me that the birds are coming down either hitting the mountains getting that wind under the wings and pushing them out east so it's just hard to tell where the birds are actually coming from and we've kind of touched on
0: it a little bit with how diverse the habitat can be especially out there in the glades but can you kind of use that to highlight the different kind of species of birds you see across the different habitats? Because I know we've talked and, you know, out there in some of those marshes and, and those STAs, like you said, you probably get a lot of those blue wing teal. Like I'm coming down there to chase the blue wings and the fulvis. But also you've sent me some great videos of of some diver ducks, some
1: redheads and stuff in the panhandle. Oh, yeah. So it, it's it's kind of weird how the birds fly in Florida they'll hit the coast and then kind of bottleneck in midway so it's i get i get a lot of guys like up in the ocala area and and kind of like uh i would say Tallahassee i forget what little town is east of Tallahassee but in the middle of the state I would say, and guys are asking me all the time. I'm like, man, you you really just have to look up in the sky and see some birds and just follow where they're going because for some reason, they like the coastline, and then about central Florida, like Orlando down, they start coming into the state. So they'll go from, like, the Kissimmee River and follow that down into Okeechobee and then Okeechobee into the Everglades. That's kind of how it is. Sorry about that. Oh, good, man. Do
0: you have a, a kind of specific time of the year? Is it late season when it really starts to pick up and kind of catch on fire for you guys? Or do you say consistently throughout duck season you see, you know a, – a, pretty consistent waves of birds coming in.
1: Uh, So the beginning, the middle and the end are very good times to go duck hunting. So, I mean like the very first two weeks you'll bust out quite a bit of birds. The, the, and then it's it's weird. It, like, slows down. And then the birds start picking up again in, like, middle December, like, Christmas time. And then after New Year's to almost the end of the season, they start picking up again. And then wh- way after season, you're seeing crazy amounts of birds. Like, in... The late February, March, and even into April, we have an insane amount of birds over here.
0: And, and those birds, I mean, is it a specific type of species that you're seeing really late season, or is it pretty much every species? Every species.
1: We, get, we, we see a ton of, and it depends on where you're at, too. So in the Panhandle, you'll see your 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 big diver ducks, so your redheads, your canvas, stuff like that, and you and you get your little divers like your buffleheads and ringers and stuff like that, and then in the middle of the state, you'll see your divers. I mean, your dabblers uh, and divers. So you'll see your widgeon and teal, your models and yeah, i mean I'm trying to like think the uh so uh, i don't know it's kind of hard to tell like and then when you get into the everglades you start seeing them all like you'll see every once in a while you'll get a gadwall here or there and then like up in, like, the Space Coast, Merritt Island, I know there's guys always shooting uh, a couple cinnamon teal every once in a while out there. And it's, that's just mind-blowing to me, because you, you don't see cinnamon teal unless you're in, like, Mexico or California. Then, I mean, you get your pentails and stuff like that. And, uh, it's just, they have their gps locked in to certain areas that they want to go like i know a couple of areas where you're only going to shoot widget so it's just definitely different you have a lot of different areas to actually hunt too you know what i mean in, in the state of florida you have different terrains you have the marsh i guess you would say even though the everglades technically isn't a swamp it's a river you got the saltwater marshes out at the very tip of florida you can go hunt the i'd say like flooded timber up in the very very north end of florida Uh, you'll have flooded cypress out there you have prairie lands down here flat lands that are just potholes and then you just throw a couple decoys in and pray for some birds to come in i mean there's a bunch of different areas to hunt over here
0: and With all those different type of areas do you have one specific area you like to focus in on that you probably say you hunt more than others
1: oh yeah 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 oh yeah i mean it's right next to my house so that's the easiest thing (laughs) uh you know like 10 minutes away i'm already putting the boat in the water i'm i'm gone
0: and does it does it get to a point throughout the year where you kind of have to back off of that certain area and maybe go to a different area? Or can you basically count on there being birds there year-round?
1: I count on. I can count on there being birds there year-round. I mean, season, put it that way. Uh, because down here, like the spots I go, I do my homework very extensively. I sit out there all morning, all afternoon, all evening, from the butt crack of dawn to the wee hours of night. And I'm sitting there watching for the birds. And some guys, we I I come back with two man limits. I mean, even though most people will call them trash ducks, you know, some ringers, but still a fun shoot. You know, I'm having a blast. My buddies are having a blast, and calling in birds—they're dropping from the heavens. And I'm like, and we're having a great time. And uh, so, then I come back to the boat ramp. They're like, "Oh man, this place sucks." Blah blah blah, all this other stuff. I'm like, dude, if you do your homework, you'll have a successful hunt. He's like, "Oh, where's the birds?" I said, "I just point out—they're out there, man." you got to do your homework i'll help you out but i just don't like it when people are sitting 100 yards away from me
0: yeah i don't think any of us do and that's understandable but you know also i think that's a it's kind of a big problem nowadays and yeah, it's probably been a big problem throughout duck hunting history right it's people just don't want to put that work in sometimes right they want the easy way into it
1: oh yeah yep that's for sure yeah, I mean, I took this one guy out where my buddy bailed on me. He was uh, out drinking. <laughs> and, uh, he never answered his phone. He was supposed to. He never called me or anything like that. And I'm like, where is this dude? And it's like 3.30 in the morning. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy ain't showing up. I just know it. Calling him, calling him, calling him. I'm like, well, there goes that. Then this this kid comes up and he's putting in his boat. He's got this little tiny boat. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I can get him to come with me. And he's only had like a, a five horsepower. And then the area that I'm in, it's super thick with vegetation. And where you got to go is way out into the interior. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, man, this guy's never going to bang out any birds or anything like that. So I'm like, hey, man, put your boat back on the trailer and ride with me. He goes, you serious? I said, yeah, man. I'll show you around. He's like, yeah, this is my second season hunting out here and stuff like that. He's like, I've never really done any good. I shot a couple birds, but never anything too crazy i was like all right i'll show you a couple spots you know i'd show him like my c's and d's spots you know i was like all right i'll get you on a couple birds you know i take him out to the spot and he shoots a model a couple teal and i think a nice stud bringer he's like dude this is probably the best shooting i've ever done in my life i was like dude this is if you do your homework out here, you'll get on the birds, man. And that goes for pretty much anywhere. If you do your homework, you're going to find the birds, man. Yeah, that's exactly right. And,
0: you know, it's it's kind of a, just to speak to that a little bit, it's kind of one of the big things we got going on with our big group that's going out west this year. You know, there's eight of us right now that are taking a trip out west and we'll be there for a little over a week and everybody's worried about the water levels and you know not being able to get on birds because of access but the same thing you just said is the same thing that rings true if we get out there you know we sacrifice the first couple days of you know just being able to go out there and hunt the spoiled way if if we go out there and do our homework we put our eyes on these birds put some miles on the truck some hours on the boat motor and we figure out how these birds are working where they're going going and kind of pattern them the best we can then we're still going to find success and and just like you said that's that's true for pretty much anywhere you go
1: yeah man the the uh but i like my little my little (laughs) five minute ride in the morning stop at the gas station and dump the boat in the water you know i don't have to travel three mile or three hours up north or anything like that you know i just love florida for that reason you know the everglades are a massive massive public land right and uh it's just for the amount of people that hunt the everglades <laughs> it really isn't enough and to speak a little bit more about to what
0: the Everglades actually has to offer, I mean, it, it, there's far more outside of ducks, right? So what are
1: some other stuff you got going on for what you do out in the Everglades? I mean we got a bunch of bass fishing uh, alligator hunting. Uh, I mean, you can go just sightseeing, you know you could go run around on the airboat and the sunset rides, you know, just being out there is just a joy peaceful you know get away from the city just collect your thoughts i guess and hang out do you have a
0: with all the the opportunity there is like you said the gator hunting the fishing the bird hunting do you have one that you kind of prefer over the the other i know you said you started out with fishing and that kind of trickled into everything you do in the outdoors now but do you have one particular activity that
1: you wait for all year oh definitely birds definitely birds that is my number one go-to i mean I, the the itch is pretty bad but there's plenty of stuff to do in florida to subside that itch but there's nothing like it you know that fast paced morning rush you get in, get out, still have time to go work on whatever you want to work on, you know what I mean? It's not like a all-day thing unless if you want to make it an all-day thing. Now you can go shoot some iguanas in the afternoon, <laughs> you know, like you can do whatever you want. Bang out a couple birds and go back in. The wife won't be so mad. <laughs>
0: yeah man i'm i gotta tell you the truth another thing that i want to do besides chasing that kind of storm blue wing and in the fulvis whistling duck down there um another thing i've I've been itching to do for a long time and this is since i saw videos on it from uh deer meat for dinner probably five years ago is i really want to i want to pop a couple iguanas and i want to try some iguana curry i just uh every time i think about florida now that's what i think about it's it's the birds first and the close second is getting an
1: iguana and trying some stew. Oh yeah. It's, it's great. It was funny, man. Like, uh, so I work as a operating engineer, uh, and we're out on the new soccer stadium down here. The one uh, Miami, uh, storm or Miami, I forget what they're called. Uh, but the one, uh, messi is playing for i think his stadium i don't know if you follow soccer or anything like that yeah I'm, I'm not a
0: big fan of soccer but i know messi's out in miami now i do know that
1: yeah yeah. i mean i don't really follow soccer either but we were there building the stadium and these boys come down from Perry, florida some some good old florida crackers you know born and raised florida crackers <laughs> and man they're like hey where can we shoot these uh iguanas? I was like, uh, anywhere. He goes, What do you mean anywhere? I said, literally just go to the store, buy yourself a pellet gun, and walk up and down the canals and go them. And he goes, Oh, it can't be that easy. I'm like, <laughs> all right, hold on. Because me and the game warden for the, the area I go to were really good friends because he was probably the coolest game worm i've ever met in my life man and uh he's like well you got to call your local police department wherever whatever city you're in and call them and tell them hey i'm gonna be here such and such shooting iguanas so they don't come out here acting a fool you know what i mean guns a blazing you know because all these pellet rifles look like actual rifles nowadays they don't look like the old school little red rider shoot your eye (laughs) type of pellet guns and uh so they took these boys out to go shoot some iguanas and we came back with about like 60 or 70 of them and he's like oh man what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna flush these guys out and we'll bring them to work on friday and we'll fry them up I was like, all right, I'll bring some some white rice or something to go with it. And and uh, <laughs> dude, it was actually really good. Like I would say it's closer to uh, lobster than chicken because it has that little bit of a chewier texture. It's not like a chewy mushy. It's a chewy firm, like how lobster is and uh but the tail is like almost like you would see like an oxtail so it's has that like diamond uh bone and you get the the meat on all four corners kind of like an alligator i would say if you split the whole individual tailbone i guess you would say you would get little chunks out of it which is pretty cool and then you get your your arm meat your belly meat your 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 jowl which is not bad you know just like just like cutting up an alligator but way smaller (laughs) can you um can can you
0: kind of take that hide that that iguana hide and and do the same with it as you would iguana or snake and and make some wallets or boots or or belts or anything does it tan the same way
1: oh yeah yep tans the same exact way but i mean if you want to have your your colors like they have like the bright bright oranges and and greens and yellows on their hide I forget how the process is done but you can make wallets and belts out of them I wouldn't say boots I mean they'll be they'll be a monster freaking
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know I've seen some pictures man I feel like there's there's some of them out there that probably can handle a boot but yeah you're right it'd have to be a huge one to to make a boot or something.
1: Maybe a, a short little, uh, little little child boot.
0: <laughs> yeah, some baby booties. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh man! But another thing, I think you guys have got is kind of like a uh, well, iguanas are te- are technically invasive, right? And so I think another guy or another species you have that's kind of turned into a real game or sport species is the snakehead. And are the snakeheads really thick in your area? And oh. number two, can you eat those as well?
1: Oh my God, they are delicious you, you'd you never think uh, a warm water fish would taste that good i'd say it's almost as close as like grouper or snapper or something like that because i mean it is freaking delicious and where i'm at is where they were first found so they are pretty prevalent i would say here And are
0: they really a big threat as I've heard over the last kind of 10 years to every other fish species that's out there? Are they kind of degrading the fisheries right now? Or do you think, I mean, it's it's just another addition to the food chain and everything will balance out? It's just
1: uh, uh, equal balance, 100% equal balance. And uh, because I've been fishing a little over 20 years down here, and I remember when we first moved down here, this is before they were even documented. I remember my dad pulling one out of the water. It was about two feet long. A little, yeah, around two feet long. And he goes, man, this sucker's got some freaking teeth on him. He's like, go get me some gloves. And I got some gloves for him. And he pulls it out. He's like, look at this freaking thing, man. Holy crap i have a picture of it like an old polaroid picture and uh i just need to find it because that was such like a a memory a core memory of fishing (laughs) back in the day you know and like i said that was before they were even documented a little over 20 something years ago and um so then shortly after i think it was in 2001 is when they were finally documented that they found them on a golf course and where they think they originated from was the asian uh, meat market and just like anything else like the pythons and stuff like that they're pretty much just put in the water so they can farm them you know that's what i think and a lot other people speculate but i have never seen a change in fishing so i'll go out catch a bunch of bass a bunch of peacock bass tilapia cichlids bluegills and then i'll catch snakeheads so i'm pretty sure they're coexisting and they do not travel far which is like weird i know they're starting to see them up in west palm but not as prevalent as in the i would say fort lauderdale to west palm area like that stretch is just loaded with snakeheads but you don't see them in miami which is kind of weird because everything they pump the water south so i don't understand why you really don't see them further south
0: yeah and it that is a little bit strange but again like you said if they're not traveling that far maybe maybe they don't have any much reason to leave or there's a certain kind of condition that they like it's i don't know it'd be kind of hard to pinpoint but You know, kind of back to it, you touched on them a little bit with the pythons. And another thing me and the old lady have been looking at now is uh, there's this guy on Instagram and Facebook, uh, Fishing Garrett or Fishing with Garrett, and he's hunting those big pythons out in the glades. And, um, you know, part of her program that she does with the Jacksonville Zoo, she was actually down in the Everglades. She spent a week there um, and she didn't see any, any pythons whatsoever. And she was a little disappointed because that was kind of one of the things she really wanted to see. But I'm just curious to know if have you seen some absolutely massive pythons in the glades?
1: So they are just like pretty much centralized in the area. They're a little bit more south than what people think. They are from like I'm trying to like so you have Tamiami Trail. Right, that's pretty much the f- lowest road that goes westbound, right? So, it'll go from Miami to, uh, let's say, like Naples area, I'm pretty sure. So, that road, so it's not like a major highway. It's pretty much just a s- stretch of two lanes, right? One going east, one going west and from that road south they're a little bit more prevalent it's not what it like everybody thinks it is i mean yeah they are really tearing up things down there because i know like i think they said about 80% of the fur bearing animals are pretty much gone down south but up where i am dude, you still see the the raccoons the possums the otters and all that other stuff out in the everglades i mean depending on the area of everglades i know like kind of like where i'm at there isn't really too much dry land so you don't really see fur bearing animals but on the levees and stuff like that you'll actually see the raccoons possums swamp rabbits cottontails otters all that other stuff and you'll see them out where i'm at so they are pretty much centralized i know they have been seeing them in the naples area but more homestead out west i don't know if you know where homestead is but that's like 45 minutes south of miami yeah she was actually out in the homestead
0: area that's where she was at um so yeah i'm a little bit familiar of where it is
1: okay yeah i mean and plus it's the time of year you really need to go when it gets cold out they're going to want to be on the levees they're running they're going to want to get out of that cold water because when it even though people are like oh 50, 50 degrees isn't cold it's actually pretty cold when you're sitting out in 90 degree weather all year round and you, we get that little cold front come through and it really cools that water down and the snakes are cold-blooded so they want to find that warmth and what's holding that warmth is the top of the levees you know so they'll just sit on top of that levee and try to conserve as much heat as possible
0: Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I just, uh, again, and I kind of got off track asking you about other animals and I know, you know, this is a waterfowl podcast, but man, the Everglades is just in Florida as a whole, just such an interesting place for an outdoorsman and all the opportunity there is just crazy. And I think we've talked about it before a little bit on Instagram, just messaging back and forth. And you kind of hinted at it early on uh, in what we're talking about now, but as far as like hunter density goes, you don't have a lot of hunters compared to land available out there in the everglades is that true
1: so depending on what you're hunting i would say because so the everglades they if the water's too high they shut it down for deer hunting because the waters go the the deer try to find dry land and that's it they i guess they figured out the the biologists and stuff if everybody's hunting deer and the deer are just going to be sitting on a little dry island it's going to be like shooting fish in a barrel so they they postpone deer hunting in certain areas when the water's too high like now the water is a little too high i don't think it's high because i've seen it a lot higher in prior years but they still shut it down for deer hunting uh like up north you'll have quite a population of people that deer hunt so you're going to be running into people in the woods but in the everglades since it's so freaking massive and like i said people don't do their homework so they'll sit there and say this place sucks and don't come back oh i, w- I just want to go to the stas because it, it's a, it's like shooting fish in a barrel it's like yeah but it's not really hunting you're pass shooting you know you barely even have to have a decoy out really because you're just pretty primarily pass shooting in the stas you can't call because everybody else is calling and the birds are just flaring, and they're just swinging in and swinging out. You can hardly get them to land. So, I mean, it's fun. Don't get me wrong; it's a blast going out there, just banging up birds. But the it's to me, it's not really hunting. You know what I mean? It's not. You're not calling in birds. You're not working them. It's just a different atmosphere. And plus that area so it's they give out depending on what sta you go it's i think it's 50 spots and then you're allowed three people four people if the fourth person is just like recording or something like that like making a video so it's very high um pressure in the stas you can't get a bird to land and all this other stuff but if you go out in the everglades there's nobody there and you see birds out in the distance and they just land and hang out all day and you're sitting there like man i wish somebody was like out there to just bounce some birds around you know Then you'll get a bass fisherman or an air boater come ripping through and take up some birds, and you're like, oh, here we go. They're coming right for you, and they see, like, the mojos or whatever. You give them a little honk or quack, and they're pretty much locked in, They're coming in. That's what's kind of nice about it, but most of the days, you don't get that bass fisherman or air boater running around. It's just the birds are sitting down.
0: And you know, a lot of, uh, kind of the public land guys, you know, there are a lot of guys that come out and pay guides and, you know, I've been on a few guided trips myself, but one thing I really like to do is, is go out and put the work in myself, you know, bring the boat down, you know, do my scouting and and find birds myself. Um, and, you know, it's just what I like to do. It kind of, you, you touched on it a little bit when you were mentioning about how they close the deer season and the fair chase and the pass shooting. And it's just all part of actually hunting for me. And do you think that it's easy or is, is it too much for kind of a guy with that mindset that wants to come out there and bring his own boat to get on birds? Do you think that's, that's a, a an available kind of pursuit there? Do you think you should probably spend your time, get with a guide um, and, and not really come do the public chase thing yourself?
1: Uh, that's a little bit of a tough question. see. Like my buddy that got me into it he was doing it a little bit longer before me so he kind of knew some areas and pointed me in the right direction you know so i mean there is abundance of birds like you said if you bring down your bow or whatever and spend some time out there you'll you will find them you just have to spend some time but i mean it's just a hard question right there (laughs) the but i think you could do it on yourself because i mean you've been duck on it i mean a first timer i would say maybe get a guide like if you're going out first time or something like that and you're very very new to the sport yeah i would hire a guide but if you're five six seven years eight years into it you can definitely come down here and bang out some birds and kind of in that same line you know
0: and and i'm going to pick on the guys in northeast arkansas specifically right now because they have such a heartache um and are anti out of state you know non-local hunters do you think i mean are you open as a local resident of the glades are you open to people traveling out there to kind of get on birds um you know as they want to or, or or if you had your choice, would you kind of limit the amount of people that would come down there and, and, and chase these birds?
1: Oh, I mean, Florida is a tourist state. Uh, I don't mind. Tell you the truth. I really don't mind. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, everybody comes down here for our fisheries, you know, either it's saltwater or freshwater. So, I mean, why not give it a whack? you're not spending three months down here for the whole season you know what i mean you're only going to be here for a couple days and get maybe two three hunts in and you're spending money down here supporting local businesses and stuff like that that's right that's a good perspective and good way to look at it man i definitely
0: appreciate that kind of perspective of it because that's one thing that's often overlooked and i think it's even overlooked by game and fish and some other states you know Uh, one of the big states we go to just to kind of give you some hindsight on that and touch into what you mentioned there with supporting local businesses uh we go to kansas a lot and uh you know we'll spend a week over a week there um between scouting and actually putting some time in to be able to hunt uh so we'd go spend a week and you know one of the things kansas has recently done is they made it to where out-of-state hunters can only hunt sunday monday tuesday now um and, and you know the rest of the days of the week you know the other four days five days is it's all shot. Yeah. a uh, 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 out of state hunter has to hunt private land at that point. Um, but you know, that's a, it's, it's, it's kind of, it hurts you. Know, I understand there's probably some guys out there that, you know, they take advantage of the situation and they're not good stewards of the land. And I can, I can understand that perspective, but it, it's, you know, other areas, I don't know that they're actually going to be able to quantify how much, you know, some of those little farm towns, you know, see an influx of kind of capital or the economic benefits there with, you know, you know, groups of hunters that come out there, spend a week and have to buy all their supplies and, and and spend their time out there to do that. You know, that's a big economic boost, not to mention the out-of-state tags and and licenses that cost a fortune more than a resident does. Um, it's just, you know, I think a lot of stuff like that is overlooked. And to, you know, hear your perspective and somebody that's willing to to share that with an out-of-stater um, and then also mention those points. I definitely appreciate
1: that. Yeah, man. I mean, like I said, they people come down here anyways to go fishing a a lot of charters, a lot of offshore fishing and stuff like that, because everybody wants to get on a Mahi Mahi or something. And it's just a thing we do down here. You know, I mean I would like it if other states would be more adoptive of that mindset. You know, it's just shoot up the bird, send them down here a little quicker. (laughs) So I like it.
0: And so another thing I wanted to ask you about, man, is I've seen a bunch of your videos and you have a very unique camouflage pattern. So a couple questions here. Can you tell us what that unique camouflage pattern is about? And do you think that that's kind of necessary? You should kind of use a similar camouflage to what you have to kind of blend into to the area there in the glades that you're hunting? Or is that just something that you liked it and you stick with it?
1: Um so it's actually my buddy's uh pattern and it's called quack skin and it's for the cattails so and everything stays pretty much green year round down here and they're pretty much like a dry fit shirts so and it during season We only have maybe, I'd say, a week of cold during season. So I think last season, our coldest temperature was like 32. And that was before dawn. Then when 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock came around, it was about 75. So you're going to be sweating your balls off down here, especially during early season, like Early teal and wood duck season down here, I mean, it's miserable. Absolutely miserable. Sweating your freaking balls off. Ups. I mean, you can wring out your shirt to dry off, put it around your neck, <laughs> you know, try to get some shade. And the mosquitoes are terrible. It's just something you have to go through, you know what I mean? But... When you wear these dry fits, they're really not bad. But I wouldn't wear them anywhere else, I'll tell you that. Because <laughs> it gets a little too cold for that. <laughs> yeah, you because know, these are super thin, lightweight wicking material. And um, I think it helps. You know, cause like I said, everything pretty much stays green year round. And I don't want to look like a cornfield in a sea of green. That makes sense. Even like on my blind, I, I spray painted, like, we got the Tiki Hut material to make the blind. And I took like five different colors of green and started spray painting it just to break up some of that yellowish brown color. You know, so it kind of blends in a little more
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense and uh, again i saw a bunch of the videos and you were wearing that i was like i was like man one that's a really unique pattern two it looks like it blends in perfectly so i was just curious uh, you know i might have to grab me some of that when i make my trip down there just so i fit in a little bit better i don't want to come down there wearing something that might make me poke out and cause those birds to flare
1: <laughs> uh, yeah i got
0: you on some shirts that's for sure yeah, <laughs> yeah well uh i'll definitely get some ordered But uh, another thing is, is I've kind of noticed, you know, in in those areas, kind of that, uh, that marshy, swampy area, you know, the mud's a little bit thick, the water's, you know, not necessarily deep, but I'm sure it can get deep in those areas when you hit gator holes and stuff like that. I've noticed a lot of people aren't using dogs. And is that because it's just, you know, the danger and the threat area or the threat of a gator being there looming, it's just not worth it to bring a dog out? Or um, do you think it's, it's, it's okay. And sometimes to have a dog.
1: It's it's definitely okay to ha- have them um in the late season. When it gets cold, you don't see any alligators. They're just like the pythons, they're going high and dry. You know, they want to get that sun. They want to get out of the cold water because it just makes them lethargic. And so the end of the season, you're not seeing any alligators, but beginning middle they're out there you know it's just i know a couple guys have lost some dogs to alligators which really sucks i mean they are extremely fast in the water you know you're not out running an alligator a dog ain't out running an alligator in the water in its own habitat you know i mean there's some things that i think should be allowed, you know, like kind of like the old South Park episode. It's coming right for me. And they're shooting at it, you know. <laughs> so I mean, it's send a little pepper across its way, if you know what I mean, to get them away. Not to, not to, aim to kill, but at least to, hey, you're a little too close there, buddy. You know what I mean. Throw right. some pepper across the bow. <laughs> but yeah i mean they are out there and they do get big i'm staring at my my european mount my euro mount of my alligator right now and the head alone is i'd say 28 inches 29 inches goodness yeah i imagine you guys get some big boys out there for the gators but
0: it's just uh another one of those things i was curious about you know i hunt a lot with the dog you know training dogs myself Uh, but when i come out there i don't i don't i'm definitely not going to bring the pup with me
1: yeah I, i wouldn't uh and the alligators as far as that goes they that that's the most annoying thing about florida because you're out there shooting ducks you're so what we do is we'll go into a spot we'll take our our lights our headlights or spotlights, or whatever, and we'll scan the area and just look for eyes because our eyes glow up glow really bright when you start shining, and we're like, "Ah, this area's kind of compromised we can't can't really hunt this area because they'll disappear, you won't see them for an hour or two, and then as soon as that shotgun goes off, it's pretty much like a dinner belt to them and they're just waiting for the birds to drop into the water, and they are on the birds instantly. And you're sitting there like, oh, man, there goes my one bird, two birds, three birds. It's like, "Jesus Christ, man. And you don't see them because they go underwater, and they just sit in there, and they could sit underwater for hours, which is crazy. But... Yeah, that's another part of Florida hunting is watching out for alligators. And just uh to get in a little bit to,
0: uh, you know, kind of our plans. Uh, you know, we talked about me coming down there that first weekend in February when they have the veterans hunt. Um, I'm not sure. I, I can't remember. You said you send me some more information when the time comes and it's time to apply. Will we will we be trying to get on one of those STAs or
1: will we be in a different area? I mean, We'll try. I mean, because it's a lottery. You know, it's it's a lottery permit. So I'd say, yeah, why not? It'd be a fun shoot. You'll definitely get your bird that you want. You know, you can get your fulvus. you can get your stud blue wing teal. You know, it, it's if you get it, fine. If you don't get it, fine. You know, I'm I will try to do my best to get you on the bird. If the weather is prevailing, you know, because uh, I had Matt from Daddy Duck come down here for a veterans hunt. And I kind of messed up by getting a little turned around because there was this one spot I'm like, all right, this is where the birds were landing. It was the last day of season. I was like, all right, I'm not going to bust this up. I'm going to let Matt come down here because he really wanted a, a black belly whistler and some birds to shoot because i know he was having a real hard time last season so i was like okay i'm gonna try to get him on some bird and i didn't want to run my motor into the spot so i was push pulling probably like 600 700 yards right i was push pulling trying to be as quiet as possible because i know There was a certain area where the black belly whistlers were hanging out. I'm like, okay, I don't want to spook them out of the roost when they're when daylight comes. They're gonna fly. So I got turned around a little bit because I wasn't looking at my GPS, and I was like, I kind of knew the area where I was going, but I ended up pushing myself too far east, probably about like 300 yards too far east, where all the birds were landing. We're sitting there. Started raining and down here, everybody's like, all oh, cloudy days means uh ducky days. I'm like, not down here, man. It's completely different. Just a little bit of rain. You'll see them flying when there's no rain, and then once it starts that little drizzle, you see them like dive bomb into the grass just to get out of that rain for some reason. Even Matt and he's been doing it for 50 years. He's like, Wow. I had never seen that before. I was like, yeah, dude, they do not like crappy days down here. For some reason, it's bluebird days they like. And so
0: kind of into that, going a little bit more into it, what what do you think are the kind of species, aside from the fulvis and the blue wing, that you can expect to see in that really late end of
1: season area that uh that I'm coming down there to hunt? Uh. Black bellies, uh, ringers, teal, widgeon. Every once in a while, we'll get a, a nice late season pentail. Um, and late season, I mean, it, it's hard to tell because every year it's pretty much different. I know we were shooting Gadwall one year, banging them up next year there weren't anywhere to be found i was like huh that's weird the widgeon are pretty prevalent down here um late season black belly whistlers and models teal and ringers that's like a florida bag right there
0: yeah and you'll never hear me knock a ringer you know aside from the wood duck That's probably our most prevalent species here in South Carolina, and I I love a good ringer shoot, and people can call them a trash
1: duck, but I tell you what, I'm going to breast them out and eat them just the same. Oh, yeah, and they taste delicious. I know in some areas their their diet changes, but when they're down here, they're pretty much turning into vegetarians, and they taste just like a teal, if you cut all the fat off of them, at least. Because I know that fat has that little little pungent taste to it i guess i mean your little gamey taste or whatever you want to call it but it has a different flavor to it um but i'll still eat it like that i like them i like all the birds i shoot the only thing i haven't tried was geese and which sucks because i was up in new york and when i shot that monster honker I wasn't able to keep the meat. I was like, oh, "Man, that sucks." <laughs> so one of these years, I'll I'll be able to get a get a taste of it because I really want to make a pastrami out of them. Yeah, there's um I was talking to a guy on TikTok actually that
0: makes his own goose pastrami and he said it's really good. The only only way I've ever had goose was You know, like anything else, the first time people try it when you're old redneck and in the woods of South Carolina, they just throw it in a stew. And the only time I had the goose was in the stew. And it was like it was literally like chewing on a boot. And uh, that's the only (laughs) time I've had it. And I
1: don't want nothing to do with it ever since. Yeah, see, like, I don't know. Stewing, it depends on how long and the temperature wise and all that other stuff to get the actual tenderness out of it, like almost like a slow cooker you know try to get that good taste that you're actually looking for instead of being hard and gross that's kind of like wild boar down here you know it's just like time of year if we have a good acorn drop they're going to be super fatty super earthy and if you cook them in a stew like that it I would say it almost turns into like beef jerky you know you get that like hard texture And you're just chewing on it and you're sucking the flavor out and then you're spitting out the meat (laughs) you know that's pretty much how it is and depending on like i said depending on the year the acorn drop you'll get like an inch fat on them because they're just eating up all the acorns that are falling and
0: what about going kind of looking into the hunt what do you have a recommended shot size so i'm really big on number fours and i know that's a little small for some people uh, especially for big ducks but i'm really big on number fours and when i absolutely have to i'll go for a blend of two and fours do you have a recommended shot size to bring down there uh, Threes
1: fours. that's perfect i mean right up my alley yep yeah i i, I don't use twos i don't use ones i mean i've i've take some irresponsible shots like 80 yard shots and drop birds with steel number threes you know it's i've done it plenty of times i have people to vouch for me and they're like dude i don't understand how that bird died <laughs> it's like you gotta put a lead on it. you know if they, if the trigger's gold the bird will fold
0: <laughs> yeah i just uh i'm not i'm not big on the on the big shot sizes man and you know i've i've killed geese with number 4s while we're duck hunting no problem and you know i've dropped mallards and folded them no problem and you know at the same time i feel like 4 is a good medium where you're not peppering up your teal too bad with your big shot sizes and you're not sacrificing any kind of stopping power so yeah that's right up my alley i think i'll be ready when i come down there
1: for that yeah and and it's you get you still get a lot of pass through i know some shots cuz when i was young and dumb i was using twos and like that's the only thing they had was twos and bb i was like whatever this will work (laughs) you know what i mean and i remember the first time connecting with a teal with bb and it just obliterated the duck i'm like well i don't want to use these anymore because every time i shoot them there's nothing left of the freaking duck so i was young and dumb that's i don't know why they even stocked that down here because we don't see any yeast and stuff like that i was using three and a half inch two shot and then the other package i have was bb and i was like oh my god and i still have them in my safe <laughs> you know like <laughs> from 2014 i was like oh my god what was i thinking You know, i never really looked into it and see what everybody else was shooting you know just wanted to get out there and do my thing you know what i mean yeah i i know you work
0: as you said uh a, a engineering operator but you guide as well is that right yes sir
1: yep and do you have
0: you have your books open right now for people to be able to book some hunts and some fishing trips with
1: you? uh not right now uh, but i will probably next season because i just if you're gonna book a trip with me i don't want to disappoint i i'll make it fun don't get me wrong i will make it fun but i don't want to disappoint you know what i mean i want to get you at least on some birds you know my guarantee is one bird for the boat it's either you shoot it or shoot it <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> so but it's they're not open right now because I want to see how this El Nino season goes because, what is it, every – it lasts, what, three, four years or something like that. So I want to see how this first El Nino season goes because I remember prior it was great, you know, super cold down here almost the whole entire season. It got cold in November. I remember that when I was young when we first moved down here. It was an El Nino season, and it was – in the low 30s for a couple weeks straight. I remember on the news, uh, freeze warnings and all this other stuff. So I was like, okay. So, and then we started hunting after that couple years, several years after that. So the, I I just really want to see how it goes before I start booking hunts, you know, but I'll take you out fishing. Those are open. That's, Always open. Message me on Instagram or whatever. I'll take you out to get your peacock bass and your snakehead. That's perfect, man. And
0: I think uh we've talked about a, a lot how you got started in the outdoors. We talked about, you know, not being actually a Florida native, but being down there long enough, you know, since second grade to be a Florida native in my eyes. Um, I feel like most of Florida, none of them are Florida natives anyway, right? It's just a bunch of people (laughs) that move there. So, but, uh, you do a lot down there. We've talked about birds. We've talked about everything else. The Everglades has to offer. One thing I like to close the episode on for all of my guests, and I'd ask you to do the same is if you could tell us that one story of the hunt that kind of just lives in your head and that if you could repeat it day in and day out, you would, can you just share what that hunt is?
1: Hmm. Hmm. So I'm trying to think here. So I I pretty much have a personal vendetta on spoon bills. You know, good old boot lip. So every time I go out and say, man, I'm going to shoot one we see one and i'm never able to shoot it so i have two of these hunts one day we were out in the stas it was a it was a pretty much a teal and ringer shoot right so three guys were were busting up the teal and ringer and i'm telling my buddy i said hey i really want to shoot a freaking spoonie he goes yeah man that'd be cool dude so we're sitting there nothing is starting to fly and we're almost at our limits and we're almost like two three birds shy of a three-man limit and so i'm walking around being a jerk off walking around the marsh just trying to spook something up trying to see some trying to find a different cover you know because they're just past shooting and uh so i stop and i'm in the wide open and my buddy he's about 80 yards away from me at this time he goes hey here comes your spoon bill i turn i look and this thing is coming straight down the pipe i'm like oh here we go he goes man look at that half dollar on its beak look at that thing you know screaming across the pond and this at this point the the bird's like 90 yards out and my buddy that's about 20 yards away from me tries to shoot at it and i'm like why would you do that? You just destroyed my shot He's like, oh, I thought I had it. <laughs> I'm like, dude, the thing was out like a mile away. He was coming straight at me. It was mine, all mine. I was like, oh. oh well. And then we finished our hunt out. And uh, so the second time we go out, and I, I go up north, so this is about almost two to three hours north. I stay at my buddy's house and we go out in the morning. No, I'm sorry. We don't even stay at his house. We go out to the swamp and sleep out and camp out in the swamp. Because it's a little bit crowded up there, but it's not too bad. And he's like, oh, man, I have this awesome spot. He's getting real excited. So we go out there spend the night. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I'm like, oh, man. This freaking sucks. So we're sitting there, and it's about 10 o'clock in the the morning. And we're sitting there, and we're tired. It's hot. And we're like, "Uh, what are we going to do? And, dude, this bird just goes from our left shoulder straight over our decoys. And we look at it. Don't even pick up our guns because we're just, like, so out of it. And we look at him and he goes, Man, that was a freaking spoonbill. I was like, Dude, don't even tell me. Because, <laughs> beginning of that hunt, I told him, I was like, Dude, the only bird I really want to shoot this season is a freaking spoonbill. And uh, that was a bird just in and out. And we just were watching them, you know, just showed, taking the cameras out and took a picture. And that was about it, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
0: man that's a uh, that's it's awesome to to hear that story and i appreciate you sharing it and just to to kind of give you some background on what i've heard so far you know i kind of and i think a few of us are guilty of this when i, when I started this page right i've i was starting to harp on how negative i thought the industry was and the community overall as waterfowls right because it's been so glorified and and the pile pictures are always have always been so important um and and it's like if you're not killing your limits every day then there's no point in going duck hunting and i feel like that's the narrative that's been put out there um by everybody on social media and and that's to include the the average everyday duck hunter who's not posting their hunts unless they're limiting out or these youtubers that are only posting these hunts where they're absolutely smashing birds and and same is true for these guys on private land you know that are just smashing birds and that's the only thing they're putting out and you know you think With everyone I've spoke to so far, you'd you'd hear those stories and it would all be about the days that they're just absolutely smashing limits. But not a single person to date so far has told a story that one that, you know, if they could relive it over and over, you know, the same thing I asked you to share, not a one person has said anything about, you know, just a, a day where they just smacked limits. It's been stories of, you know, crawling up and, and shooting birds off of Amish ponds, you know, on their stomach after crawling 100 yards and only getting a couple birds and and other other stories about, you know, just sharing the, the blind with your dad for the last time. And then like yours, uh, the most memorable two hunts that you could share with me right there are the two days that you didn't get to shoot a spoonbill, uh, the, the long referred to trash duck and, you know, Arkansas's most hated bird. <laughs> um, but that's the that's the hunt you decided to share,
1: oh yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's really not to me, it's really not about getting on the birds. It's just spending time out there. It's just the peaceful time, especially if you're in the city pretty much like I am. yeah it, you're you're out there, you can actually hear nature thing you know what i mean you can hear the crickets you can hear the frogs you can hear the birds whistle and tweet and all the other stuff you know you you hear the the wind ripping through the grass it's just a different sound and it you can actually collect your thoughts that's 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 about man that's a beautiful a beautiful
0: perspective to have I appreciate you sharing it. I think it's one that, you know, it's true with every guest I've had on there so far. And the reason why I started this, and, you know, I'm glad that I get to include yourself in that kind of thing. It's a perspective that everybody on this podcast has shared so far. It's not always about the limits. It's about being out in nature. It's about the camaraderie you get to share in the blind and, you know, the relationships you get to build and all of the memories, not just the days of the pile. So. But with that billy we can go ahead and wrap it up man i appreciate your time i think our guy matt is about to go live on youtube don't want to miss that for him but uh thanks again if you want to tell everybody one
1: last time where they can find you across social media so across social media i have uh youtube instagram and tiktok i don't really post too much on tiktok because tiktok's kind of whack about hunting Uh, So I post a good amount on Instagram, that would be SoFlo Waterfowlers or SoFlo Outdoors. Uh, You'll see the logo. And then on YouTube, I try to post almost every week, especially during duck season, Um, that would be SoFlo Outdoors.
0: We got it, Billy. We know where to find you. Again, thank you for your time, for being on. I enjoyed the conversation, man. I'm really looking forward to getting down there and and sharing the blind with you and, and, and seeing what we can do as far as birds, but ultimately just seeing everything the Everglades have to offer. So thanks again, man, and I'll stay in touch, brother.
1: there.